0: We're starting a new series today for Christmas, December, Advent called The King is Coming, and we're going to be exploring these pictures of King Jesus from the book of Isaiah, these prophecies from thousands of years ago that described what it would be like when Jesus came on the scene, which is what we're celebrating right now in this time. We have a, we have a special guest speaker this morning, Pastor Randy Neighbors. Can we go ahead and give him a clap? All right. I'm so glad he's He's here. Uh, 40 years ago, Randy and Joan, Joan's sitting right behind him here. Randy's the one in the pink shirt. He dressed appropriately for South Florida. Uh, 40 years ago, they started a church called New City Fellowship in Chattanooga, the very same name of our church. They moved into inner city Chattanooga and began a Sunday school. And from that Sunday school, the church grew and grew and uh, they, they really worked to see racial reconciliation in the middle of urban Chattanooga. Some years after that, a pastor from New City Chattanooga moved to, New, to St. Louis to start New City Fellowship in St. Louis. And that church is now 20, 25 years old. And that church planted another church in another urban part of St. Louis, of which I was a pastor. Then that church sent me down here to Hollywood Hallandale to plant this church. So what I'm telling you is that Randy Neighbors is uh, and Joan, they're our great grandparents. All right, does that make sense? All right, Randy has uh, continues to pastor, but he's he's moved more into a role of pastoring pastors. Uh, he's one of my pastors. I call him when I need some pastoring, and he also oversees our denominations. Mercy and Justice Wing. So he's responsible for going around the country and training people on how to do mercy ministry and justice ministry, particularly in urban areas. Randy also heads up the New City Network with other people and goes around to other churches that are called New City Fellowship to encourage us. And that's why he's here this morning. So I'm going to ask Randy to come up. I want to pray for him. And then he's going to preach to us this morning from Isaiah 42. So let me pray for Randy. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this man and his wife. I thank you that they would come down and uh, give us some of their time to encourage us. I pray that your spirit would be on him this morning to give him boldness and precision as he preaches from your word, and that it might encourage us to persevere, and that it might give us great joy in who you are, Jesus, and that it might help us as we seek your kingdom right here in Hollywood and Hallandale. And all God's people said, amen. Good morning. Good morning.
1: Buenos dias, bienvenidos, Uh, good to be here in South Florida, Um, really thank Pastor John for inviting me to come and uh, even assigning me the text uh, on which to preach, Uh, and it's a great text, and it's in the book of Isaiah, so I don't know if you have your Bible or your telephone uh, or whatever you have for your scripture. We're going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 42, and uh, we're going to read through the first nine verses. So, hear the word of the Lord Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations, he will not cry aloud Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. A light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things. I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Amen. 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 The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. That's some good stuff. This is like a great Christmas card. All right. And it's great because, now please remember, this is being written by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. So when we read this, we are hearing a prophecy about something that is going to happen hundreds of years in the future. How could this man possibly know this stuff? This is the book, by the way, that tells us a virgin will conceive and bear a son. And he will be called Emmanuel. Amen. Who's that talking about? This is, this is the, the book that talks about the suffering servant. The one who will come and who will uh, be a sacrifice. That the the judgment of God, the chastisement of our peace will be upon Him. That's talking about Jesus. And all through this book, we constantly hear about the servant. I I remember speaking once to a rabbi. I was an army chaplain had an opportunity to interact with different kinds of chaplains and uh, met a, a rabbi, obviously Jewish, and uh, he spoke to me and he said, you know, I, I thought about Christianity a little bit, but, you know, I read Isaiah, and, 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 and I you, you people interpret the servant to be the Messiah. You interpret it to be this person, Jesus. I interpret it to be the Messiah too, he said, but it's not Jesus, it's the Jewish people. And you know, and I didn't say much to him after that, but I just was thinking, boy, that would really mess up the book of Isaiah. Because most of the time, in Isaiah and Jeremiah, God's mad at the Jewish people. And the servant is the one who's going to come rescue them and rescue us. So those two things can't be the same. But see, when you don't believe in Jesus, you put up any obstacle so you don't have to hear about Him. Now, what I've come by to tell you today is that the King has spoken. Amen. The King has spoken. Uh, he's speaking to us right here. And He's telling us uh, what the Messiah, His servant, is going to be like. The Messiah is, is the word that means anointed one. And we use the word Christ. That's the Greek version of Messiah. He's talking about the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Who is going to come? And the king has spoken about what he's going to be like. So I got three points. Okay? And my first point is we just got told. My second point is by the Lord who upholds. And my third point is about the servant we behold. Alright? So those are my three points. Now, we just got told. If you look here, let's, let's go to the end of the passage that I read in verse 9 and hear what God the Lord, God the Father says, Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now, what that means is, you know, I, this is not the first time God has told the future. God has been telling His people ever since they existed, ever since He called them, called Abraham out of Ur the Chaldees and, and made him the father of many nations, but made him especially the father of Israel. God has always been telling them what He's going to do for them and what He wants them to do. And He says, He reminds them, the former things, things I, used to, I told you before, they came to pass. Now, now I want to give you a little confidence that what I'm about to tell you is going to come to pass as well. All right? So, if you had somebody in your life who was always telling you what your life what was going to happen to you and it never happened, you, you wouldn't have any confidence in, in a, any prophecy they give you, right? Oh, you're going to lose that job. Oh, you're going to marry him. Oh, you're going to marry her. Oh, you're going to move here. You're going to move there. And nothing that ever happens. You say, don't tell me anything new because everything you told me in the past was a lie. But that you can't say it about God. Everything he ever promised came to pass. So now he says, New things I now declare. The people of Israel had a nation, and they had sinned against God. And they had sinned in a lot of ways, but one of the ways they sinned was having idols. And now, when you think of idols, in those days, they were actually statues. And they were kinds of gods. And the people, instead of worshiping at the temple or worshiping the true God, they would worship false gods. Now, we call them gods, but actually, they weren't any God at all. You know, the Bible says, you know, they have a mouth, but they can't speak. You can carve eyes in them, but they can't see. You can carve ears in them, but they can't hear. They're just a dumb piece of wood or a dumb piece of stone. But the people of Israel had actually believed them to be true gods. They had actually gone to the point where they would sometimes even sacrifice one of their own children, kill a child, to please a false god. It's a horrible, horrible sinfulness of the people of Israel. But God says now, uh, I'm going to declare something new to you Here about that, what's coming. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And that's why I say it's a Christmas card. Because what God is declaring to us in the rest of this passage is the first Christmas. He's he's, he's telling us that the servant is coming and He's going to describe to us who He is. He's going to describe to us even His own relationship to this what He calls the servant. Okay? So we just got told and we got told by the one who never breaks a promise, who never tells you something that's coming and it fails to show up. It's always going to happen. This is, this is really a miraculous book. I would encourage you to read the book of Isaiah. Uh, there are scholars who say it can't be true. There are, there are people, who, you know, people who study the Bible who don't believe in God. Can you believe that? You study the Bible, you don't believe in God. But there are people who do that. And they study this Bible and they say, Isaiah can't be real. And you go, why? Because it promises that one day there will be an emperor named Cyrus and he will actually send the people of Israel back from exile back to Jerusalem. And in history, that's exactly what happened. Cyrus became the emperor of Persia and he sent the people of Israel back. And they said, there's no way anybody could have known his name let alone that it would actually happen ahead of time and write about it. It must have been written after it happened. Well, sure, if you don't believe, God can't do anything. Nothing in the Bible could be true if God can't do things. But here's the reality. doesn't matter what scholars say couldn't have happened. The question is, did it happen? Yes. yes. And history says, yes, it did. Lord have mercy. So I just want you to know the king has spoken, and we just got told he's going to tell us now what's about to happen. So that leads us to our second point. We just got told by the Lord who upholds. What is he upholding? He says he upholds his servant. Now, in this first part, I just want to tell you a little bit about who's talking I said the King. God is talking to us. Look at uh, verse 5. It says, Thus says God, the Lord. Okay, we want to get this point across to all of us. This is God Himself talking. And and in case we didn't know who He was, He describes what He's done. He says in verse 5, Who created the heavens... And stretch them out, you forget who I am okay i 'm going to tell you what's going to happen, but in case you 're forgetting my authority, let me let me give you my credentials all right maybe maybe you don 't respect me enough, so I am God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, mm-hmm. who spread out the earth the, the, what we are standing on today, God says, I made that. <laughs> I laid it out. You would have nothing to stand on if I hadn't put it here. And what comes from it? Everything we eat. All the fruit, all the vegetables, everything that we see. It's nice to come to South Florida and see green stuff. Okay? It's really nice and lush. Everything that comes from it. This earth. God made it. Who gives breath to the people on it. So what has God done for me? Did you just breathe? <laughs> Did you just inhale? Did you just exhale? Are you alive? God gave you that. And spirit to the people who walk on it. You're alive. You're animated today. You are not dead because God, in His mercy, gave you life. He gave you life. He gave you breath. He gave you the earth. He gave you the heavens. In case you don't know who we're talking about or who's doing the talking, He's the king. All right? He's got the authority to tell us what's about to come. And so now he says that he has called his servant in righteousness. That's in verse 6. I am the Lord. He's talking here about Jesus, about his servant. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. this relationship between the Father and the Son is a very mysterious one. And it's a, it's a beautiful one. We, you know, we Christians, we believe in what's called the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't believe in three gods. We believe God is one. There's only one God. But in some mysterious way, He exists in three persons. And you can't get any tighter in a relationship than the Trinity. The Father totally loves the Son. And the Spirit totally loves the Father and the Son. And these three are one God and they're, they're always working together. And when God sent Jesus into the world, he didn't, he didn't send them on a mission and say, man, I hope it works out for you. You know? When you send your kids to college, you know? If that, any of you have had that experience, you know? And maybe you give them a car. You know, maybe you actually uh, you might even, if you're crazy, give them a credit card, you know, you, you, you know you, but you pay their to it, you send them off, you know, and you say, and now you say, you, you know, as a parent, you're in the background, and you're expecting phone calls every weekend. I ran out of money. You know, Dad, will you help me?" You know, I have three sons and one daughter, so I don't care about the boys, but I really care about the daughter. you know. <laughs> If they get in trouble, I figure they can fight their way out of it. My daughter, I don't want her breaking down on the side of the road, you know. So, but here, this relationship is tight. I send you, my servant, my son, in righteousness. And I'm going to uphold you. Now, now the cool thing about the, the one reason I mentioned that about the Trinity, was that is the relationship God wants us to have with Himself. And he wants us to have that relationship with each other. That we might be one, even as he and the Father are one, is what Jesus said in John 17. That's that's an incredible relationship. So he is sending his servant. He said he will take the servant by the hand, he will keep him. And in verse 1, he says, Behold my servant whom I uphold. Our relationship is tight. He's my own Son. You know, we call Him the uh, eternally begotten, not made, not created, eternally begotten Son of God. It's a mystery. In other words, Jesus was born physically in Bethlehem in history, but He already was alive before He became a human being because He's the Son of God. Say Amen. Amen. If you believe it. If you don't believe it, you don't have to say Amen. But if you believe it, and by the way, help me out. You know when I preach, you can talk back to me, if if uh, if you're saying the right thing. Otherwise, I'll end the sermon or tell you to shut up. Okay. Now, his name is the Lord. Remember, we just got told by the Lord who upholds, verse eight. I am the Lord. That is my name. I really like this. Now this, by the way, in in Hebrew is a very special name. You know, the Jews would not even pronounce this name. And so, when they would write it, they would just write a couple of syllables in there, and nobody really knew how uh, to translate it. Nobody knew what to say. So they actually took the word that sometimes some people—and I think this—you know, the Jehovah Witnesses—they use the word Jehovah. They take those syllables and they try to translate it as and make it sound like Jehovah. Some other Christians have tried to uh, take that word and make it sound like Yahweh. You know, but the Jews didn't want to pronounce it. So they made another word, uh, and it comes from what, the Jewish word Adonai. And that word is translated Lord. So the name of God is holy. Now remember, God told Moses who he was. You know, Moses said, who are you? And his answer was what? I am. And that's pretty close to what those syllables mean. And basically, God is just saying, you want to know who I am? I am. Everything exists because of me. I am. If I ain't, you ain't. Okay? I like that. You ought to write that down. That was My name, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory, you know, and by the way, what does the Lord imply to you? He's in charge, He's the boss. What He says goes. Okay? Now, you know, I was in the army, and so I learned to say, Yes, sir. Or if it was a woman who was uh, my commander, Yes, ma'am. You know, I could say, Who is your commander? And the word commander has a lot of power. That's your commander. That's your boss. Your life could depend on them. Well, Lord is higher than that. Okay? He's the Lord of heaven and earth. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Praise God. That's who's talking here. His name is the Lord. Now, we've been told by the Lord who upholds about, this is my third point, the servant we behold. Now, this, this point, each point gets a little longer. So this is the longest point, okay? Now, and I'm breaking this up into two parts. First, I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between the Father and the Son, about the God who sends the servant to us. This is, the, this is the, really the preview of Christmas. This is the announcement of the Messiah who is to come. And this is, this is one of the most precious things written in Scripture. Here in verse 1, he says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, here he comes, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Now what, what makes God happy? Jesus. What makes God happy? Now some of you who are parents, You know what it's like sometimes just to feel so much pleasure in your own children. It is hard to describe that feeling. Now, I'm not talking about the times when you're mad at them. And I'm talking the times they they have torn the house up or uh, caused you trouble. Okay. But there are, it's just that feeling that you have for your own kids. And maybe it's the moment when they come out of the womb and you count their fingers and toes and you realize they're all there, and your heart just is full. Or maybe it's that first day going off to school, and you, you give them that first set of school clothes, and you see them with their little lunch pail or whatever, and that moment just fills your heart to bursting. Uh, or maybe, you know, when they bring in a drawing that you're going to hang on a refrigerator, and you know, or they just come up and hug you, and that moment you go, Oh... What, you know, you, you wouldn't know what life was like without them. And all through your life, I've watched my kids grow up. I've watched them get married. I've watched them have babies. And, you know, there are just so many moments along the way. And But in human life, we have this disappointments as, as well as the pleasure with our children. Because you know what? Our children are sinful just like us. And sometimes, even though we really, really love them, Children can break your heart. But Jesus never breaks the heart of His Father. If anything makes the Father happy, it says, In whom my soul delights. Oh, I love that. I put my spirit. See, here's the third person of, of the Trinity. The Father is sending the servant, Jesus. And now the Father sends His Spirit to rest upon Christ. And so, everything that Jesus did, He did in the power of the Holy Spirit. He did, be, he did everything being upheld by the Father, anointed by the Spirit who comes from the Father. This is this great, special relationship. And then He tells them in verse 6, that he's going to give Jesus as a covenant for the people. Now, have you ever had communion? You ever take communion? And do you know that moment when they institute the Lord's Supper, the preacher will sometimes say, you know, uh, he's quoting uh, about Jesus, and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Well, that is a description of this. There there was a covenant that the people of Israel had. They had several covenants. They had the Abrahamic covenant. And the sign of that covenant was circumcision. So every little boy on the eighth day, he had a piece of skin cut off. And that was a mark in his body that they belonged to God. But then Moses came along. Watch that. Uh, Moses came along. And God gave the children of Israel a new covenant. And that covenant was the law. Is the covenant of the law. And if they obeyed the law, they would be blessed. And if they disobeyed the law, they would be cursed. That was a covenant. God gave to David, uh, the Davidic covenant. and He said, there will always be a son of David to sit on my throne. Jesus is the son of David. He's the fulfillment of that covenant. And But here He says, I'm going to give a covenant for the people. It's you. Christ is the guarantee that the Father loves us. Amen. Amen. So when he says this, I'm giving you as a covenant to the people. That that's the kiss the Father just gives you in his Son Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. All right. This very special relationship. Oh, that was the first part about the servant we behold. Now let's let's go to what the servant does. Okay, we've been talking a lot about his relationship with the Father, that this promise is going to be kept, this very special relationship, but now he begins to lay it out in the passage. This is what the servant of God, the Messiah, the Christ, is going to do. Verse 1, he says, he will bring forth justice to the nations. How's that going? Because, you know, here's the question. And I think you have a right to ask it. I think uh, skeptics and cynics and unbelievers have a right to ask this. And I, I certainly think Christians do too. And that question is, okay, here's the promise. He's going to bring justice. Where is it? Now, I mean, you, you might say, well, 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 wait a minute. You know, that would assume that there is injustice. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Have anybody... anybody Read anything lately? <laughs> any, anybody read history? Anybody experienced any injustice? You know, we live in a fallen world. When Adam and Eve sinned, corruption came into the world. And human beings, instead of living in a perfect paradise, we brought corruption. That's why we got kicked out of the garden. God said, hey, I ain't going to let you mess this up. I'll put you out in the rest of the world. You're going to mess that up. I know that. I'm not going to let you mess up this. And, and you're not going to eat from the tree of life so you could live forever evil. Not going to let that happen. I'm kicking you out. Because you now have brought sin into the world. And with sin came injustice. You know, we, uh, some of you have experienced it. You may have experienced personally. You may, you know, my father abandoned my family when I was four years old. That's injustice. He treated my mother unjustly. And so we were raised unjustly without any financial support or any involvement from him at all. That's injustice. How many of you in this room have suffered at the hands of your own parents in some way? Or a sibling? Or maybe you were sexually abused by a family friend or a relative. You have experienced injustice. How many of you lost a job? that you had a right to and you were doing well, but maybe, uh, maybe there was some kind of prejudice, some personal prejudice. Maybe it was because you're a woman and you couldn't get that job or couldn't get the promotion. Maybe because of the color of your skin. Maybe because your accent. Maybe, maybe because your last name. Maybe because of your legal status in the country. But you have experienced some kind of injustice. And if you didn't, you sure have heard about it. Now, maybe you grew up in privilege. Maybe there's never been a single incident of injustice in your life and you go understand what other people are so upset about. Wake up! Because there is injustice in the world. And so when you read this, how do you read it? Do you say, it didn't work. That could be one Response of unbelief. But I want you to understand this justice is a two edged sword. You ask for justice too much, you might get it. Now, what happens if God treats you completely justly? What happens if God treats you according to your sins? You know, I, I want to tell people, you know, if you, when you die and you stand at the judgment, do not stand in front of God and say, just give me what I deserve. This is like one of the stupidest things anybody could say. Just give me what I deserve. You will be in hell. Why? Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are the children of Adam and Eve. We sinned in them, then we sinned ourselves. So when you cry for justice, be careful. Because it's a two-edged sword. Some of what has happened to us in the human race, we fully deserve. But yet God still cares about justice. Now this is the good news. That even though God could say, and don't worry about justice, they don't deserve any. God doesn't say that. He says and said to His servant, I'm sending you to bring justice. And I want to tell you how He does it. The first way He does it, He satisfies the justice of God on the cross when He dies for our sins. All the anger of God that we rightfully deserve when Christ hung there and died, the justice of God was satisfied in the dying of Christ. Because He looked upon His own Son and He saw that He had become sin. Who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So at that moment, the anger of God is used up against you. God's not angry at you anymore if you have believed in His Son, Jesus. Please hear me today. This is the best Christmas card you'll ever get. God loves you. And He has has taken care of His anger. He has taken care of your guilt by having Jesus die for you on the cross. Justice is satisfied. Hallelujah! Personally, for you, justice has been accomplished. So, in other words, what happens to you is not because God's mad at you. All right? What happens, bad things happen to good people all the time. It's not because God is trying to, to be mean to you. God has, if you believed in Christ, God has said, I love you and I love you forever. Even though you're still going to have to go through what we call a veil of tears. Even though you're going to go through this pilgrimage on earth where there is evil and there is wickedness. I love you. But does God care about injustice in society? And my answer to that is, yes, He does. Because you see, this is not just a promise of what Jesus was going to do at the first Christmas. It's what Jesus is going to do by the end of the world. It's something He started. He is on a justice campaign. Now, I know He's on a campaign because of what this text tells us. So let's keep looking at it. It says that he will faithfully bring forth justice. Look at verse 3. At the end of that verse, he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Man, I love that. You know, do you ever get discouraged? You know, maybe this presidential election, maybe you were frustrated in that, I don't know, maybe you cheered it, but no matter if you, even if you cheered it, I'm sure that there will be disappointments ahead in the next four years, because every president disappoints us, but we have never elected Jesus yet, okay, never, so we're all going to face disappointment in earthly leaders. And maybe, sometime, you know, maybe you've been involved in Black Lives Matter. Maybe you've been out in protesting when you feel there was injustice. Maybe you, you felt you were angry when policemen were murdered and shot down in ambush. And you said that is injustice for that officer. Maybe, maybe you have marched against things or for things and you have, you have said, it's not working! Jesus never gets discouraged. He's going to bring it. And brothers and sisters, I think that he also brings it through his people. We are his body. We are the body of Christ. And the call for justice. And the advocacy for justice. Does God care when children are aborted? When they're murdered in the womb? Say that's injustice. Does God care? I say he does. Does God care about black people? Yes. And the history in America and the, and the racism that is a. Does God. I say He does. Does God care about immigrants? Yes. Whether they are documented or undocumented and they come and they struggle and they have sometimes nothing to eat and they're trying to figure out how to survive. Does God care? Yes. I say He does. Now, not everything we call justice is justice. Sometimes it's actually envy or jealousy or we want to be first. You know, we're just mad we don't got what they got. Maybe, maybe that's part of it. But I will tell you, God is the one who really knows what is just. And He will bring it. That is my faith. Even in a world that tells me all the time, there's so much injustice. There's so much evil in the world. I believe that what God has said here is true. He will not grow discouraged. He's not worn out by us. Amen. Oh, thank you. I am so glad, Father. Now, let's keep going. It says here what the servant does. It says, he will not cry out. Look at verse 2. Or lift up his voice. Or make it heard in the street. This is an interesting text. Because this, this portion of Isaiah 42 is quoted in the New Testament. And it's quoted in the book of Matthew. And in chapter 12. And, and, and I'm not going to look there now, but let me just tell you what it is. Uh, what happens is, uh, Jesus is in conflict with the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're, you know, they're angry at Him. Eventually, they're going to try to kill Him. And as He tells them the truth, they get mad, and they want to kill Him. And, and He heals people, and He's doing miracles, and He's always telling His disciples, don't tell anybody. <laughs> and you go, Jesus... You're the Messiah. What do you mean don't tell anybody? You you just did these great things. We should be we should be we should have a great publicity campaign for you. And what Jesus does is he will heal I don't know how many hundreds of people and then he'll just sort of sneak away. They want to make him king cuz he feeds them, makes bread, gets in a boat, gets out of there. And it quotes this. And it says he is going to keep quiet. It says He will not cry out or lift up His voice or make it heard in the street. So they quote this as a fulfillment of a prophecy of the Messiah and they don't talk about the rest of it. I find that amazing. It's, it, you know, I would be talking about all the rest of this in the New Testament. But the New Testament scholars, they just pick out this little part. No, he's he's not going to make a fuss. That was his agenda. He did that on purpose. Because he didn't want people to make him king. He didn't need people to make him king. He's already king. And he was going to do something for us on the cross. Something else he does. Oh, this is precious. Are you still with me? Yes. Okay. It says this uh, in verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break... And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, now, now I want you to see a contradiction here. A bruised reed. Okay, you got a piece of grass. Somebody walks by the grass. They break it or bruise it and it hangs limp. Okay? Uh, A smoldering wick. You know, there's no flame here. But if I if I blew on it, right, smoke would come, right, flame would go out. But maybe maybe there'd be a little red left in the wick. And if you were if you if you could do it right, you would, and it it would burst back into flame, right? That's a smoldering wick. That's you. That's you. Now what's the contradiction? You are a broken. Smoldering sinner. Justice says, break the branch, break the grass, snuff out the flame. That's justice. Mercy says, hold back. Hold back. Don't break it. Don't snuff it out. I got a plan. I can repair broken branches. I can put flame back in smoldering wigs. That that is the theme verse for prison fellowship, by the way. And as we minister in the prisons, uh, to prisoners, that was the theme verse to say, you're in prison because you screwed up, most likely. Your life is falling apart. And people look at you and say, there's no hope. Forget them. Put them away. God says, not me. So have any of you ever felt at the end of yourself, have you ever felt like I'm just I'm just that smoldering bit. There's not life in me anymore. I've I've sinned too much, I've been sinned against too much, too many bad things have happened. It's too late for God to use me. Hear the gospel. Jesus loves you. He delights in taking broken people. He is the potter that puts broken pots back together again. That's the gospel. That's Christmas. This is the good news. He's bringing justice, but instead of blowing it on you and giving you what deserves, He rescues you. He heals you. He restores you. He uses you and at the same time is pursuing justice in the world. That's our God. That's who Jesus is. It says the coastlands will wait for His law. The other day I was on a boat and we were coming into an island and you know as you got closer and closer and the town on that island got bigger and bigger it's almost miraculous. It was like Wow, we could, we could just show up. You know? And, and here's this image. The coastlands wait for His law. Bring it! Bring it. He will be a light for the nations. Uh, it's also translated Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, that's you and me. We are not Jewish, most of us. And we have only been brought into the family of God by His grace. Hallelujah. He'll be a light for us. We, we were the ignorant folk. We didn't have the law. We didn't have the fathers. Some of our ancestors running around in trees. Okay? Running around, you know, uh, trying to hunt and worshiping rocks and stuff. And uh, just dark in our ignorance. But the gospel came. He's going to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison those who sit in darkness. That's what I came by to tell you today. King has spoken. He's told us what he's done in the past. He's telling us what he's going to do in the future. He's telling us about this servant whom he upholds, who he delights in, his son Jesus. And he tells us about the servant we now behold. So as we celebrate this Christmas, uh, everything... Ought to re- remind you of Jesus. Forget Santa Claus, okay, and even forget family nostalgia. Christmas is not about cute little pictures of your kids in pajamas and stuff, okay, coming down ruining Christmas because they come at three in the morning instead of waiting. You know, Christmas is about Christ. The servant we behold, and he's beautiful. Lord Jesus, we praise you, because you love us. We don't deserve it. Father God, how could you possibly give us such a gift? For Lord, we have ruined our lives. I confess I've ruined my life with the sinfulness of my heart. I have no part with you. There's no reason, Lord, that I should enjoy Your mercy, the wonderful, wonderful joy and happiness of having my sins forgiven, of You becoming my Father, I becoming Your Son. It is all mercy. Jesus, thank You that You are the servant in whom the Father delights. And I pray that we would behold You this Christmas and all year long, we would behold You for who You are. And please, Jesus, keep bringing justice to the world. Keep bringing people out of prison. Please keep giving light to those in darkness. Please keep being gentle to the broken. We ask this in Your precious and holy name. Amen.